How's everybody doing today? Welcome to season three. I believe it's episode 22, but I might not have changed. Nope, didn't change the number correctly. It's definitely episode 23. So let's adjust that before we move forward <laughs> of the Making Awesome podcast. We're going to be talking all about additive versus subtractive at the end of the day, but also getting into 3D printing versus injection molding versus CNC milling and why, you know, it matters and why it matters. Yeah, Mad Cat, I did put some stickers in your order, but I did also forget to send it for like four days. So that's on me. Got a couple of people here hanging out. We got UU Jim saying sup. Anners is here. Jake the Joke Goat is here. We got Mad Cat USA, of course. Zombie Hedgehog is hanging out. Ronnie is here. Ronnie, we're going to get to your question. You asked about the Snapmaker Artisan and how a three-in-one machine kind of plays into all of this. So I am really excited to talk about that. But if you guys are watching live, uh, you can please like the stream, of course. Uh, subscribe if you haven't. And if you do want to support us financially, you can do so by heading over to Patreon or YouTube channel members. Links are in that description down below. Where you can support us for as little as $1 a month to help make this content possible. For those that don't know, I did a six and a half hour stream yesterday. So I am exhausted. And I promise you, this stream will be shorter than six and a half hours. So, you know, <laughs> we've got that going for us, which is nice. Victoria's here with me as well, although she's a little reclusive. Uh, she is hanging out, which is always good. Justin Miller said, I just shut off yesterday. Yesterday's a rage fest to watch this. Yeah, Shotgunner5609 is here. Noobs fan sub is here. Thank you all for hanging out. Bill Todd says, I fell asleep. Did he fix the bamboo? No, no, I didn't. Uh, let's, let's give a TLDR of that stream. Uh, the bolt stripped out. We tried to cut it, uh, like to, to cut a slot in it. It's still stripped out. And I then reverted the entire, uh, boards of the printer that we were replacing back to the ones that were broken because the broken ones still worked. I spent six and a half hours effectively doing nothing but changing the fan inside of the printer and changing the tool head covers because that is literally the only things that actually went right on that entire stream. Uh, so that was that was an interesting one to say the least, but that's the way that it goes. Uh, you know, you win some, you lose some, and uh, thankfully Bamboo has agreed to do a return or give me my money back. Uh, so you know what? While we're here, we might as well add a poll. Return or replace the bamboo. Because, yeah. I don't know what to do. So there you go. You guys get to decide, are we returning or are we replacing the bamboo? Um, so, of course, there will be a video where, you know, I'm sending my bamboo back. We're going to talk about all the problems that we've had and all of that. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, not the focus of this video uh, or this stream. We're going to be talking all about 3D printing, CNC milling, injection molding, which are really some of the big reasons that 
people look at this industry in the first place. They want to start manufacturing. And a lot of people believe that 3D printing is totally acceptable for manufacturing and use components. By and large, that answer is no. But there are certainly some edge cases where, yeah, it actually makes a ton of sense to do 3D printing on the large-scale production side. It might be because you're not really willing to, you know, shell out the cost of a mold, which involves CNC milling and injection molding. You don't have the space for the inventory or the part is so small, it just makes sense for you to 3D print it. Because ultimately, if you already have the machines, your cost to produce something goes down considerably. If you don't have the machines, if you don't have the skill to do it, and you're not willing to learn, outsourcing to somebody like 3D Musketeers is possible, but it is also significantly more expensive than doing it yourself. Now, when it comes to CNC milling and injection molding, those are a whole different animal. And even cheap CNC milling machines are 10x the cost of a decent 3D printer. So there are some things to think about here. Let's get further into this and see where we can dive into 3D printing versus CNC milling versus injection molding. So there's a lot to unpack here. <sighs> We've got some issues that we should talk about, right? 3D printing is not the end-all be-all when it comes to manufacturing. I love 3D printing. I have way more 3D printers than I have CNC millers or injection molders. I don't have any injection molders anymore. I used to have one. Um, and the reason for that is it's easier, right? 3D printing does not require like legitimate hardcore training to be able to do it. And you might say, well, Grant, it kind of does. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't. You can pick up a 3D printer for next to nothing. Next to nothing, right? A Sovel SV06 is going to run you 240 bucks. SV06 Plus is going to run you around 300 bucks, and start printing tomorrow. And it'll work. By and large, you're going to have a great experience. If you follow the instructions, it's going to work great. Both of mine do. But when you look at reliability and you look at speed, unless you have an army of these things, you're not going to compete when it comes to doing further things. But really, 3D printing is the most affordable option here, right? A cheap mill, right? Let's look at like a, a Tormach, okay? I know there are ones that are cheaper than Tormach, right? There are some edge cases that are much more affordable. Like you can get a 3018 mill uh, on Amazon for like 300 bucks, but let's be real. Nobody wants that. Um, they're not bad if you're just starting, but if you're trying to take this legitimately seriously, those machines can barely hit five thou of tolerance. And a lot of machinists will chase zeros where they're hitting one or two ten thousandths of an inch. And unfortunately, milling is all in uh, the standard increments. It, it, maybe that's just a thing here in the States, but I'm fairly certain the understood uh sizing for milling is all in inches so something to note there and i'm going to be using inches for that um because I, I i i think it makes sense justin miller says i've had 1.5 millimeter bolts strip out of prusa's except i don't think prusa uses m1.5 anyways uh yeah jake says the worst of all is that the plastic color didn't match yeah it was it's pretty it's pretty 
pretty bad. But all right, 3D printing, right? If you're here and you're listening to this or you're watching this, you probably like 3D printing. It's it's a thing. You probably like it. And I'm realizing that I don't have any up buffers. I'm going to change that because it's going to bother the ever-loving hell out of me if I don't. Uh, let's move me down a little bit. Okay, good. All right, a little bit, a little bit of buffer on the top makes me feel better. Okay, sorry, that's the ADHD kicking in. I was like, oh, it's bothering me. Have to fix it. Anyways, cool. If you're here, you probably like 3D printing, and you probably own some 3D printers, or you're looking at getting a 3D printer. You might do 3D printing professionally, and you would probably call that additive manufacturing, right? But you may or may not have anything at home. 3D printing is a great way to rapid prototype. It is basically the best way to do it because the tech has come a long way in the past, what, I would say 2008 is when we had really our first commercially available 3D printer, right? Maybe a little bit earlier than that. It really wasn't much earlier than that. And while 3D printing has been around since the 80s, it's been more concentrated around the SLA market or, or and not MSLA, right? Specifically laser on vat of resin. Uh, the movie Small Soldiers was the first time that we ever saw 3D printing in a movie. And to this day, they still deny it's 3D printing. And I promise you that is a 3D printed part. Um, I had nothing to do with it, but, you know, it's a thing. We have had work in major motion pictures. We have had work in... Uh, television shows. If you ever saw the TV show Pure Genius, we did all the 3D printing for that show, and we're going to be doing an episode of the po uh, either a podcast or something where I actually bring out all the pieces from that show. Um, I have a copy of all the pieces that were in that show. I'm going to show you guys what they were, how we did it, uh, and kind of talk about that experience. Um, but we'll see. Maybe we do like a real AMA for that, not not like a stream where Grant's also raging at the same time. <sighs> Maddie says, why would they be ashamed of using 3D printing parts in movies? They're not, and they never were. Um, I just think they didn't want to ruin the allure of how it was done. And at the time, A Small Soldiers came out in the 90s. 3D printing was in no way, shape, or form uh, ready for that kind of thing, right? It, 3D printing was not mature enough. And it is a 3D systems machine, but you don't ever see the logo on it. But people that have utilized those machines are like, yeah, this is a 3D systems, whatever the hell it is. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think they're ashamed. I think it's more of um, they didn't want to ruin the allure. You didn't have to retract the message, though, Maddie's. It's it, it, it's totally fine. We got Super Caro here as well. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter. It was cool hanging out with you and some of the other Patreon members last night. I Right after the... Uh, the stream finished, I said, I'm just going to hop in the discord because I need to like decompress before I start saying things I'm going to regret. Uh, so we hung out for like two hours. We decompressed. Uh, Amber came on for a bit as well. We we're all just hanging out half, half, half everyone was playing satisfactory. So it was, it was a good time. Um, but yeah, to be clear, 3d printing parts are still often used in movies. Uh, okay. Retracted because of the typo. Okay. If you look at, uh, anything that comes out of Leica, not the camera company, the studio, Paranorman, the box trolls, Kubo and the Two Strings. Those are all stop motion animated 3D printed movies, which is really cool. And there's really no other way for them to do stop motion animation in a meaningful way 
with traditional manufacturing, right? They need thousands of different facial expressions and they just use magnets to put it all together. There's a little bit of movie magic to remove the seams, but there's really no other way to do it. Sure, you could have somebody use uh, some clay and cut the clay and mold the clay, but that is going to take you way longer than planning every shot out. Remember, most movies are filmed in 24 to 29.95 frames per second. And that means every one of those frames is another movement that they have to do. And when you are doing that many movements for one second of video, throughput really starts to matter. And that's where 3D printing wins all day, every day. Uh, Matt Cat USA says, I've been aware of 3D printing since that movie came out, but I wasn't aware of how it had progressed until recently. Yeah, 3D printing has come so far. Like the early days, we were wrapping nichrome wire around bolts and basically figuring out a, 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 a control system for bang, bang, not PID. So bang, bang is on or off, very similar to how your oven runs. And that way, like when your oven tells you it's at temp, if you have a temp sensor in there, you'll know very clearly it's not at temp, but the oven knows it's going to continue to rise as those coils cool down. So it's telling you ahead of time so that when you get your part in whatever it is you're making in your oven, it's at the correct temperature. And then it uses bang, bang to kind of keep that temperature. But you'll see fluctuations of upwards of 30 degrees. And it's why when people go to bake their filament to dry it, we say use a toaster oven and put it on the absolute lowest setting that it can be. Like your regular oven for your house gets way too hot and will overshoot a lot and will cause you to lose your filament. So, yeah, it's a thing. Be careful when using ovens to dry filament. Uh, Ronnie says Patreon requires a credit card or PayPal. No other methods of payment. I don't think so. What other method of payment would you want to use? I'm I'm curious. I don't know. And Marco's asking, what about hybrid CNC? Yes, you could put a 3D printed head on a CNC mill. And it is actually really common in the metal sintering industry to have a, a metal sintering head on a mill. I saw this at Rapid in 2016, where there was a Haas VF3, I think, that was outfitted with a, uh, oh, I, I don't know the exact technology, what it was called, but it was a technology that shot out metal powder and then it had a plasma that would melt the metal powder right where it would contact something. So you could 3D print it, use your automatic tool changer to bring in the mill, and then mill it down. And that is incredibly valuable. But those 3D printed heads or those heads for a mill will be way more expensive and really not as good as just buying a dedicated machine. I recognize it removes time on work holding, and if you are trying to really automate your process, I totally understand why you would want something like that. But with how good metal 3D printing has gotten, and how easily it is to add a wire EDM into your workflow, which is an electric discharge machine, EDM, uh, it's a wire that will just cut stuff. Really, really cool. Um, and that's how you can remove the parts or you leave the part on the build plate and your build plate is part of your work holding that I don't see a lot of companies using that hybrid method anymore. 
there are 3D printers out there that are also hybrid in that they have a CNC miller and a laser engraver, Snapmaker being the one that is the most popular. I have a Snapmaker A350T, and what I can tell you is it kind of sucks at everything. It's not a great 3D printer because it doesn't use PID. It's not a great CNC miller because it only has a 50-watt head, and it's not a great laser cutter because it is a diode laser, and it's a completely... Um, there, there's there's an enclosure for it, but the enclosure is extra. It it the beam is is exposed, and that's a problem if you're not spending all that extra money. I know that they have the J1 now, uh, or this new Artisan series that is better, right? They've got like a 250 watt head, they've got a better 3D printer, and uh, they've got a better laser. I think they've upgraded to a 20 watt diode laser, but I'm really not certain that it's a good move, right? If you're a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, there is more to that saying, certainly better than a master of one. But in this particular case, I'm going to disagree with that. I believe you should have dedicated machines to do dedicated things. It's better at the end of the day. I promise. And from a business workflow perspective, it is way, 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 way easier, right? Because still, you still have to change out the heads on something like a Snapmaker. So, you know, it kind of is what it is at the end of the day. You can say, I need the space and I'm going to deal with the things that will come around it. You know, maybe it's not all that accurate. You're not going to get better than two or three thou. There might be something involved here where you're willing to take that bit of a hit because you don't have the space or you don't have the power requirements for something larger. And I totally get that. Work within your means. But don't take something that is legitimately worse than buying individual machines if you have the means to do it. Especially if you're going to do this as a business. If you're a hobbyist, there are totally different worlds that you operate in. right? Chasing zeros as a hobbyist is something that you do for fun. Chasing zeros as a business is something that you do for marketing. Because if you can show that you're hitting one to two ten thousandths of an inch tolerance, yeah, you're going to get business because there's not a lot of shops that play that game. So learn that and understand where you sit in that market. And if you are willing to go up to being a business and you're currently a hobbyist, again, work with what you got. Don't extend yourself further than it needs to be. Ronnie says that's too bad. No credit card here in PayPal. Can't seem to connect my direct debit. Netherlands, there is an ideal, a centralized bank payment system. Huh. I have no clue. I have no clue how to do it from the Netherlands. I know we have Swedish people. I will ask some buddies that I have in the Netherlands and see how they handle it because I know that they do it. So, um, Ronnie, shoot me an email, youtube at 3dmusketeers.com. I will ask some buddies that live in the Netherlands how they handle it. And if you do want to support us, I will help you out in that. Um, and then I see you're starting to speak in languages I don't know, and I'm sorry. But cool, we got people that are helping out. You guys are awesome. Marco says desktop metal for 3D printing and solid cam for CNC milling are cooperating. Uh, quite curious about their rollouts. So Desktop Metal is one of those 3D printing companies that kind of came out of the woodwork, and they started buying up a bunch of companies, right? We know this. Uh, they're a publicly traded company, or I believe they were recently delisted. Um, I think they were recently delisted. You guys can can check that. But we've had a couple of 3D printing companies that went public on a SPAC, which is a Special Purpose Acquisition Committee, 
and they have not been able to keep their stock price over $1, which means they get delisted and you can reverse split your stock all that you want, but it clearly means that you've extended your business past where it is. And it's kind of time to go back to that private world. It's okay though. This is the way that things work. Not every SPAC is good, but it certainly was the theme of the 2020 and early 2021 for the 3D printing industry. And if you guys are really old school, really, really old school, uh, you'll remember that we've talked about this before. We, we, we've talked about all of that. But desktop metal does FDM metal. That's what they do. And Mark Forged came out with a competitor, which is the Mark Forged Metal X. I would rather buy from Mark Forged at this point. The Mark Forged Metal X runs about 120,000. The burnout oven, I think, is another 40. But the thing with Mark Forged that I'm pretty certain they've patented is their blacksmith program, which exists inside of Iger, which is their slicing software. And on the X7 and above on their product line, so that's the FX20, the X7, and the Metal X, every one of those machines has the ability to use Blacksmith, which is a detection system that triangulates cameras to figure out the accuracy of your part as it is printing and is able to adjust on the fly printing parameters to hit numbers that you're trying to hit. And it is even compensating for the shrinkage that occurs during the burnout process and the sintering process for MarkForge. And that, to me, makes their ecosystem kind of worth it. And yeah, it's a walled garden. A lot of the high-end printers are walled garden. That's just the way that it goes. But when, you, when you're able to have that much closed control, that really does work. Walled gardens start to become a benefit rather than a problem least in my eyes um uh, let's see jake the joke goat says didn't desktop metal market a bunch toward the 2a community i don't know but honestly if you're spending a hundred grand on a printer to print 2a just go go buy 2a like that's just that's stupid um Oh, I'm blanking. Stratus has bought the company that was famous for making a fully 3D printed 1911. Um, it was $40,000 is what they sold it for, but it was a fully 3D printed 1911 down to the springs, the barrel, everything was 3D printed in this out of metal. Um, I forget the name. They were based in Texas. Of course, they were based in Texas. Uh, I forget their name, though. I believe it's it's initialed as, as two Ps. I could be wrong. Uh, okay, so desktop metal is still on the New York Stock Exchange. All right. So current stock price is $1.78, which is not great. Not great. Uh, uh, y Baldred said, going public via SPAC can be sketchy. It looks like this is sometimes used to circumvent the SEC requirements. I absolutely agree. Yes, it is. Anners, yes, it is solid concepts. You're right. It's solid concepts. I thought it was PP, but I could be wrong. Solid concepts is the right one. They are the ones that did... Uh, the fully 3D printed 1911. And they got real famous for it for all the wrong reasons because Cody Wilson was doing his big stuff back then too. Let me know if you guys want an episode all about the 2A. Um, myself and the 3D Printing General have been talking about how we can do a podcast together and not alienate both of our audiences because... I believe there's some really cool topics that we can talk about regarding what is possible, but then also bring back to Newtonian physics and talk about why some of these are just stupid, but where you can have some fun and mess around and understand that as long as you abide by the laws, you're having fun. So I'd like to know what you guys think there. Um, 
you know. And actually, let's make another poll. Uh, so I can see, let's see this poll. 28% say return, 72% say replace. So I guess uh, I guess that's what we're going to do. Uh, let's do another poll here real quick. Um, to a podcast with the 3D printing general. There you go. All right, so now you guys can let me know if you want to do one with a 2A podcast with the 3D printing general. I think it would be fun. Um, but, you know, again, we're, we're going to talk about things very plainly. We're not going to, and I told them, you know, we're not going to get political about it. Uh, but anyways, 2A is a very, very segmented part of this industry, and very few people are doing it outside of the FDM world. Uh, that, that's what I can tell you. Like functional 2A, they're they're not doing outside of the FDM world because it doesn't make sense. There, There's no – CNC milling makes way more sense for that, for reference. Um, so all right. Let's get back into it. When you look at high-end 3D printing, there are some cases where high-end 3D printing is the only way to do it. Let's look at specifically aerospace. Aerospace is one of those worlds where high-end 3D printing, metal specifically, and more specifically, Inconel 718 and TI-64 Titanium are pretty much required for it. There are internal geometries in some of these new rocket engines that are coming out that are simply not possible by something like... Uh, not possible by something like a CNC milling machine. And that means you really only have one choice. It's got to be 3D printed. And with Inconel 718, a metal that gets harder the harder you hit it, it likes that kind of thing, you end up with a use case scenario that is way greater than the sum of its components and way greater than something that could be done with traditional subtractive manufacturing. You're no longer limited by where you can get an end mill you can do it layer by layer via 3D printing. And that is objectively really damn cool. Sorry, that was a great piece that I had to save. Uh, so uh, ChemNerd says one working preset can be repaired is a lot faster than a non-working bamboo that can't. Amen to that. Oh, by the way, um, this is the same filament that the bamboo was using, the exact same spool I brought it inside. And this Prusa is printing a Benchy. So uh, we're going to see, and I'll, I'll take some photos of it. It'll be in Print Fix Friday, um, of how a Prusa does it versus a bamboo. And that will start to tell us. I guess I can look back. That Benchy looks perfect. <laughs> Benchy looks perfect. Uh, if, if we know it's a hardware issue or it's a filament issue. So there you go. Uh, and Duff, it was that bad. Yeah. Um, Supercaro says, I think it would be interesting, but might watch it slash hide behind seven proxies. I mean, yeah, if you guys want to use a VPN, you can, but it's, that's fine. You're, I don't, it's, yeah. Anyways, I, I don't, I don't want to get to go too far into that. Uh, Shotgun5609 says, kink shaming exotic metals. It is against company policy to kink shame. Uh, that is a actual company policy. Uh, because we do often get people that want to do adult products with us. So we we don't kink shame. That, that's not a thing. Uh, unless they're into it and that's a kink to get kink shamed. But I, I'm not going to go any further into that discussion. That discussion needs no further talks. <laughs> um, Jake says I, he thinks I should return the bamboo and get a Prusa XL. Why not both.jpg? Um, I, I, I'm going to have both. Well, 
I might not have a bamboo, but I'm going to definitely have a Prusa XL. That's happening. Um, but yeah. So 3D printing can really handle things that you're not able to do with traditional manufacturing. Undercuts and all of that start to be really, really tough on a CNC mill. Unless you're going to go five or four, five, six, or even seven axis. And then you're also dealing with how you handle your work holding. For 3D printing, especially in the powder, the powder markets. Uh, do I have? I do. I have some powder parts back here. Let's take a look at some powder parts. Because, you know, I just have these handy. This is a, it's an EV charging station. It's not very detailed, so this actually works just fine. This is printed out of SLS nylon. This would be such a pain in the ass to print an FDM. It is tall, it is wiry, and sure, you could cut the base off, print it on its back like this. You'd have to cut all the ribbon off, and maybe you could use, like, TPU, actual, like, full TPU filament to do this. But you're spending a lot of time. SLS did this with no support material, and it just works. The powder acts as your support. And even further, you can go smaller if you want. It's the exact same file, just scaled down, and you end up still with beautiful parts that have pretty good tolerances. Um, we've got a buddy with an SLS printer, so um, this, these were actually parts that we were quoting for a client Unfortunately, I never heard back. This is from an HPMJF machine, which is also nylon powder, but it works a little bit differently. We can talk about that if you guys want. Um, but for right now, just wanted to show you some powder parts so you get an idea of what they look like and why, why it's important and why it matters. Because powder is really cool and gives you way more flexibility than you get with standard FDM or MSLA. And so ultimately, the average consumer of 3D printing only really knows the space that they're surrounded in, which is generally FDM slash FFF and resin printing, which is MSLA or SLA. There is so much beyond this, and a lot of it works in the realm of lasers or binder jetting. So I've got binder jetting machines here. We've got a Z Corp 650 or a ProJet 660 Pro. They're the same machines. And that actually uses HP 11 inkjet heads to push down some binder onto gypsum powder. Then it is uh, cleaned out and infiltrated with super glue. But we're not going to get into the, the, the hard things there. But that process uses the powder as supports. So the parts come out with no support material. I got to dust and clean all the powder off of it. But that's it. There's no extra work that's needed. The parts are ready to go into post-processing, which is uh, super glue, preheat, wax, post-heat. Uh, we developed that process. That's a process that we developed that is now the industry standard for CJP printers, which is pretty cool. Um, that's back in the day. Um, and as Y. Baldred says, the very big and very expensive, very industrial machines are very interesting to learn about. You should have added a very there. I added it for you because, uh, you know, it's cool. And don't get me wrong, right? There are so many opportunities for powder-based 3D printing. And we're seeing the prices of it come down even further. Matter Hackers just brought on Sinterit as a company that they're going to start working with. And Sinterit has the Lisa. The Lisa, as far as I'm aware, is one of the most affordable SLS printers on the market. Its build volume is really tiny. And if mods, if you want to post a link to Matter Hackers' website, you're welcome to, um, to the Sinterit line. 
but the Lisa is really tiny. But the, they have further divisions of the Lisa where it gets bigger, it gets a better laser. But ultimately, at this point, if I'm going to buy an SLS printer, I am likely looking at the Formlabs Fuse 1. Again, a bit of a closed ecosystem with Formlabs, but the machines really do work pretty well. And when you're looking at 50 grand or so delivered all in with the depowdering, mixing, sifting, and all of that, it's not bad. And nylon powder is pretty easy to get. And I believe that Formlabs allows you to use other nylon powder other than their own. Uh, but don't quote me on that. I'm not certain. Ronnie says, I have a client that is a bicycle factory for disabled people. They use Prusas for a lot of items, but also large HP powder printers and metal printers. So cool to do a coffee over there. Yeah, so the gray part that I showed earlier, that is MJF. That is multi-jet fusion. That is HP's version and competitor to SLS. It is a powder process, but it puts down a layer of powder, a binding fluid, and then it has a, it's got a secondary fluid. That gives you crisp lines, and then it uses a heat lamp, a uh, infrared heat lamp, to center the darker binder to the layer below it. That's how the process works for MJF. I was actually at Rapid in 2016 in Orlando for when MJF was first announced, and it blew my mind. MJF has come to completely change the way that people look at powder-based 3D printing, because it is faster and it is more affordable, generally speaking. But... It is still an incredible expense to get involved, and it is the HP method where they control every aspect of the supply chain for it, and that means that it can get a little more expensive when you look at your material cost, but it's faster. So a lot of times, the speed, the speed increase makes up for the cost decrease. Is that, is that correct? Making it go faster means that you can charge less even though your materials cost more that makes sense but yeah powder is interesting and there is so much opportunity for fdm in this world too right fdm is insane absolutely insane for what is capable and we've interviewed the virtual foundry right these are people that make metal filament for your 3d printers and all you need is a hardened steel nozzle, a diamond nozzle, and some hardened steel gears. I guess it's hardened steel or a diamond nozzle uh, or a ruby nozzle and some hardened steel uh, drive gears. And you can print metal at home. Now, you'll have to send it out to get sintered, but you can still do it. The thing is, it is very difficult with metal 3D printing to determine how a part will shrink. Unless you have a system that is watching it all the time and is smart enough to understand that. The basic Prusa Slicer is not smart enough to do that. Cura is not smart enough to do that. None of the free open source slicers are currently smart enough to understand shrink rates for metals. Hell, they don't even really know how to do it for ABS. It would be really cool if they did. Uh, and I hope that Prusa Slicer with their new measuring tool might be able to give you that ability in the future. Uh, what temps are they centered at? Pretty much, it's incredibly close to the melting point. Um, but it's not the melting point, because that would obviously damage the part. I don't know the exact temperatures, and obviously for each material, it would vary. But sintering is a very hot process and done in 
ovens that are incredibly well insulated. And there are companies that do it here in the United States. I met one at the East Coast Rep Rep Festival, and they do a lot of the centering for um, the virtual foundry. But yeah, it is more for pretty and less for practical. If you want practical, you got to pay to play, unfortunately, as it currently stands. But if you're willing to pay, you have a lot of fun in that playground. Uh, Joel Driver says the, that process with a bit of post-machining and produce unmachinable stuff. Yeah. That's the thing, right? A lot of turbine wheels uh, for turbochargers or turbine jets have traditionally been manufactured via CNC milling. And it requires a five-axis machine to do it. You can get away sometimes with a four-axis, but you're not going to get um, concave or convex curves on your blades because you won't be able to get that undercut with a four-axis. Well, you might be able to get it with a four-axis. Most people are using five-axis because they just work better. Yeah, you might be able to get it with a four-axis, but most people are going to use five because they work better. And a five-axis mill... A decent five-axis mill is going to run you a hundred grand, easy. Hundred grand is like where you're going to start with it, right? Tormach might offer a five-axis. I know they offer a fourth-axis, but it's more three plus one than it is a full four-axis. And a lot of CNC milling companies do this. Haas does this. They offer a three plus one, where you can have a fourth, but it's not active fourth. You can just, you know basically change the way the part is angled then you can do some milling um but a full fourth is when everything works together right and you're getting simultaneous movements uh, and unfortunately a lot of cnc milling companies hide this behind paywalls or upgrades that are necessary to run those machines fortunately the 3d printing industry is not really all that different and well that's kind of the way that it is. And I hope that it can be changed, but currently it is kind of a big boy only game. But there's more to this. We look at what is possible when these big boy machines, right? You can print titanium on a Mark Forge Metal X. And that means you can do parts that need incredible heat, incredible strength, and lightweight that is potentially not possible with a CNC mill. That's pretty damn cool if you ask me. And that flexibility allows you to serve a broader range of customers. So from a business standpoint, a metal 3D printer is more of an additive process on top of a CNC mill rather than something that takes away from the usefulness of the CNC mill in the first place. They work together, not separately. Uh, let's see. Berlin Berlin says a new Prusa Slicer measuring tool. Yes, Prusa Slicer has a measuring tool. It is a thing. It is absolutely a thing. Um, Sebastian Jackal says, shrinks rates is one thing. I can eyeball that from experience, but uneven shrinking on complex parts can be hell. Yes. And that is why you know, I really don't recommend doing metal filament for home use. If you want to do it for fun, go ahead. Like if you want to make a little copper slug as a heat sink, go ahead. That's, that's just fun. If you want to mess around, go ahead. I fully support everybody and their ability to mess around. But if you're going to do it for a hardcore use case, it's probably not going to work the way that you're expecting. But that's okay, assuming you want to learn at the same time. All right, we got a 90% yes uh, on the poll. 
with 31 votes. If you guys do want to vote on that poll before I end it, uh, let me know. But it looks like that we might look at getting that scheduled here in the near future with the 3D printing general. Uh, Spurlock says, I believe SJ mentioned in an interview going from 18 months using traditional milling to a week or two using additive and then clean up with milling. Yes. And SJ is the absolute badass of metal, right? Um, legitimately one of the subject matter experts in metal 3D printing. And I would love to have SJ on a podcast. I will reach out to SJ and see if they are willing to come on a podcast because honestly, SJ just SJ knows their shit just straight up knows exactly what they're doing and has experience with the nitty gritty behind metal and they currently work for Velo with that big Velo energy if you will Velo 3D is really pushing uh, a lot when it comes to metal. And there are some other companies as well. We have SLM that is doing a multi-laser system. We have Farsoon as well. I think they currently have the largest multi-laser system. But multi-lasers means multi-problems because there's an overlap that starts to become a problem. We could get into that, but I, be uh, I believe that is all beyond the scope of this specific talk. Uh, and quite frankly, that is absolutely an SJ thing. I'd love to have SJ on this podcast. Ronnie says that the ha that the printer is an additive to a CNC is a nice hop to the snap maker. I don't no no just no yeah no just no. <laughs> Sportlex says three D printing with lasers leads to sharks with lasers. I fully support sharks with lasers. To be clear, I fully support that. Um, all right, we're gonna end this poll here. So we got it. So okay, let's go further in this process, right? Where do we have our switchover between 3D printing and CNC? Generally speaking, it's looking at each individual project. If the project needs metal or even needs a polymer and it needs to hit a very specific tolerance, a lot of times, if you have a CNC mill that can do it, I would opt for CNC milling. A block of Peak or a block of ABS, a block of Delrin, HDPE, are all relatively affordable, although Peak is not affordable. But, you know, most polymers in a block are affordable. But you're making a ton of waste. CNC milling is often called subtractive manufacturing because... You're taking away something. You're starting with a big block of something and you're cutting it away to make something else. 3D printing is an additive process where you start with a raw material and you're building up from there. 3D printing is great because it has minimal to no waste involved where CNC milling is upwards of 80 to 90% waste in some projects because of the necessity to cut down so much material. But if it's a requirement, it's a requirement and you sometimes have to work around the parameters that you're given. I would say, though, it is often worth it to try to convince a client to look at 3D printing as a viable option and give them some samples before really committing to the CNC mill. We, of course, have to look at our impact on the world as a whole. And if we continue to send more plastic to the landfills and all of that, we're not doing our due diligence and our duty as citizens. If you can recycle it and you've got recyclers that you work with, by all means, play that game. But don't just throw away the scraps. It's not good for you. It's not good for me. It's not good for the wildlife. And it's just not good in general. So recycle when you can. And be conscious of that because everyone here is responsible too. 
And like there, there was a video that went viral, uh, maybe a year ago, all about the biggest problem in 3D printing, and it's the plastic spools because everybody just throws those away, and they're often made of a material that is not recyclable, and that becomes a real problem. Um, Benny Brady says minimal waste until you are using a bamboo lab printer with the AMS. Any multi-material printer where it's multiple filaments into one nozzle will have an insane amount of purge, right? Because you have to purge away the colors. And yep, there is a lot of waste. But if it is all the same material, then it's all recyclable together. If you're playing with the uh, you know, non-similar support material like a PETG with a PLA support or a PLA with a PETG support, those little purge, it, those purges will not be recyclable because those materials are not compatible in a recycling process. Asperlux says plastic spools are great for cabling, Christmas likes, etc. Folks will take them. And every year around the holidays, I put up on Facebook Marketplace free spools. Come and get them and I will leave boxes of them outside of my house and inevitably every year I still end up with at least one or two boxes left that's why I love the cardboard spools because outside of the glue that is used in them they are pretty damn well recyclable and when we look at a spool from printed solid where there is no glue used the sides actually can spin freely and this is a piece of sheet metal the entire thing is fully recyclable, but unfortunately they're currently dealing with some issues in their supply chain and they're going back to plastic spools in the meantime. I do love the industry has gone to cardboard spools, but we have to look at the glues that are being used in them as well. If the glues are not recyclable the same way the cardboard is, oftentimes that cardboard gets just tossed in a landfill. Thankfully, it's reasonably well biodegradable, so we don't have to worry about it too much, but hey, you know, if it could be fully recycled, let it be fully recycled. But that, oh, I disturbed Miss Victoria. No, no, she, she's good. She's good. She's there. She's good. She's good. Um, when we look at plastics, it's funny. The one plastic that's infinitely recyclable, that needs no extra material, often does get some, is polystyrene. One of my most hated plastics. It is truly one of the worst because it does not really biodegrade ever, but it is often used in the spools because you can cut them down and re-extrude them without any extra, any extra nonsense. It just works, which is uh, really cool. And as Benny Brady says, the best idea is still the master spool concept developed by Richard Horn. I agree. I love the master spool concept. It would be a lot easier for us to have multiple colors, but it would be more complicated to store the filament for sure. Uh, definitely would need to get a little bit more, uh, you know, interesting when it comes to filament storage, because as a company, I go through tons of different colors and I can't just have coils of filament without them being kept together sitting on a shelf. So I don't know if the master spool would solve a lot, but I guess I would need a master spool for every color that we have, which might be more complicated than it's worth. Cardboard spools might be a better solution, but is it a solution? Is it a band-aid? What is it? I don't know. CNC has the same problem, right? If you're CNCing metal, a lot of machines will have an Archimedes screw that carries it out to a hopper. The machine in the thumbnail is a Haas mini mill that has not only the, the feeder system, but then the hopper system that basically drops it into a bucket. 
and that bucket you can then give to a recycler who can recycle it and remake that metal. However, if it is dirty metal where the metal is mixed together, they give you significantly less for it versus clean metal where it is all aluminum and it's all the same aluminum. So if you're running a shop that makes the same part all the time, you get more money for that recycled metal, but it is still a process and you must still store that waste. It's not something that can just be thrown away because you can't really put metal shavings in the trash. Ultimately though, if you have a well set up CNC mill, when you compare resin 3D printing to a CNC mill, you get pretty similar results. Now, a ball end mill will get you a way smoother service than you can get even with a resin printer. And a metal part will be considerably stronger. But if you do it out of a similar material, let's go with a, you know, reasonably decent tough resin up against a Delrin or HDPE high density polyethylene. Delrin would be acetyl acid. Um, you end up in a situation where the parts will be pretty similar and you'll run into issues with heat on them before you run into any other issues. The big problem with resin 3D printing is that it is brittle and over time it gets more brittle, especially with exposure to UV light. When you look at materials that are milled, that are plastics, you don't have that problem unless it is a material that is already susceptible to UV light like ABS. ABS is incredibly susceptible to UV light, and that's why the dashboards on a lot of cars that are older start cracking, because that ABS wears out from all of that UV light hitting it. It's not good. But as we look at new modern plastics like ASA, which removes the butylene component from ABS and makes it acrylene styrene acrylate, right? Pretty sure that's it. You end up with a material that is fully UV stable which means it doesn't break down in the sun. And as someone that lives in Florida, that is really, really valuable, for sure. Zombie says, high-quality cardboard spools with a snap-on ring seems ideal. Could even develop a specific, a specific spool that is designed to use a ring. I agree. It's it, To me, it's more of a Band-Aid problem than anything, right? Specifically, I mean, literally, the bamboo is the only printer that needs rings on cardboard spools. It's the only one. And I know that the rep rack, uh, especially for the spools coming out of um, uh, Protopasta, they want rings for that. But I really think Protopasta should kind of up their spool game. I love Protopasta filament. One of the best filament colors available on the planet. However, they are incredibly expensive, um, like upwards of $50 a kilo for PLA but they do make some of the prettiest colors out there. But their spools to me are just like, ugh, would have loved to uh, have a better spool there. But that's the way it goes sometimes. Looking at CNC milling, the benefits are strength and material options for one machine. Even a, you know, bone stock cheap Tormach will get you basically any material you put in it. You can even mill steel on a Tormach. You can mill titanium on a Tormach. I don't know if you can mill in canal or tungsten. You would need special bits for that. And then those, those end mills start to cost more than your machine. And then it, it, it doesn't make sense, right? Your CNC mill is fundamentally limited by its spindle power and spindle speed. My preferred mill for a, Shop is a VF2 super speed from Haas. You'll get 12,000 RPM on the spindle. You'll get 50 horsepower if you pay for the upgrade. I believe it's 30 horse stock. And 30 horse is going to get through a lot. 50 horse gets through even more. 
and you can start hogging out chips. The faster your machine can run, the more money it makes you per hour, right? And that means you get more throughput. You don't necessarily have to lower your prices. You can just make things faster. And the faster you make parts, the more money you can make as long as your margins are appropriate to handle it. But at the end of the day, throughput equals money. And if you're not really worried about throughput, then you're probably not in the business of making components on a CNC mill. Mills are more designed to run production, whereas a 3D printer is more designed to make one or two pieces. But that really comes down to how their motion systems operate. It is ball screws and bearings versus lead screws, if you're lucky, and linear ball bearings that are much, much smaller. It's a totally different world. And yes, there are printers like the Pantheon that are effectively, when you give an engineering team the job of building a 3D printer, but you forget to give them a budget. And when they ask you for it, you say whatever is necessary. And that printer is amazing. I would love to get one. Uh, and I guess ABS is acro, acro, nitrile butadiene siren. Yeah, I'm not a chemist. Sorry. You're not going to get chemistry out of me. But yeah, CNC milling is way, way, way different, right? And yes, when you start looking at edge cases of 3D printing, it can start pushing into the CNC milling where they start to compete. But they are more complementary than you might think. To get into injection molding, you must first have a CNC mill. And before you say, well, Grant, I can 3D print molds. You can, but if you get five to 10 shots out of them on any decent injection molding machine, you're lucky. And sure, you can go get a Morgan press, which is a piston style injection molder. You can get one that's hand powered for relatively cheap, like five or $600. I had a pneumatic powered Morgan press that I paid $1,200 for delivered from AliExpress. Maybe it was Alibaba that I got it from. And while it was a decent machine, its shot size was like 35 or 40 grams, which is nothing. There's so little that you can do with that amount of plastic that it becomes a real problem at the end of the day, right? Most 3D printer spools are like 200 grams of material. So you need a big shot size to do that. That's why most injection molding machines use Archimedes screws, very similar to how 3D printing filament is made. If you guys remember when I toured printed solid, we showed you that big extrusion line that they had. It is a big Archimedes screw that forces that raw filament pellet through a nozzle at incredibly high temperatures to give you that filament at a consistent diameter. It's kind of cool, but it requires a shitload of pressure. We have a couple of our Patreon members that work in injection molding factories and seeing the failures that come out of that make you just wince. You see machines that are a quarter of a million dollars that have just, that are, they're destroyed, right? Plastic under pressure when your molds aren't set up right will completely destroy a machine. You're dealing with compression forces that are upwards of two, three, four, five hundred tons of pressure when you're then injecting plastic or injecting whatever polymer you might be using into the mold. It is a whole different ballgame when you look at high-end injection molding. But to bring it back to something all about that a lot of us would understand, back in the human malware days, the 3D Musketeers and a lot of my local competitors, all but one, 
all but one local competitor. We all shut down our shops to produce face shields and PPE. And I don't give a damn what you feel about human malware. I don't care. This is not political. We're not getting into that. We were able to produce about 17,000 face shields in three weeks with all the 3D printers locally. At the time, I think I had a little over two dozen printers, but a lot of them were resin. So we only really had maybe a dozen FDM printers. We ran 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three weeks. And I think here at 3DM, we got just a hair shy of 3,000 pieces. We only ran for three weeks because my buddy, who owns an injection molding shop, took three weeks to get his mold cut, validated, and get everything certified. As soon as that three-week period was done and he was ready to take over, he was able to do 10,000 pieces a day. That is where injection molding starts to win. If you are looking for production-level work, you look at injection molding. The parts will be pennies on the dollar compared to 3D printing. Even if you buy the 3D printer and do the work yourself, it is still cheaper to get something injection molded. The problem is that whole time of getting that mold made is so incredibly expensive, right? Even cheap molds overseas are still going to run you between two and $5,000. And that's for a really tiny part. When you start looking at parts that are really complicated or have undercuts or need some sort of piston driven system, right? Where you have molds that are in the double digits of parts, your molds start to cost tens of thousands of dollars. And that upfront expense is due before your first part is ever delivered. Anecdotally, we can look at the story of the Dixon Ticonderoga, the number two pencil that everybody knows. It's the yellow pencil with the steel end with the pink eraser, right? The Dixon Ticonderoga. Everybody knows it. The first one cost over a million dollars to produce, but the next one cost a fraction of a penny because by that point, all that work had gone into producing it. And then when they started production, it started costing a fraction of a penny to get it there. They built a process that was so incredibly streamlined that they can make a ton of money making a pencil. Not a lot of companies can do that because they haven't found what process automation looks like. But if you can figure it out, you are set to make a ton of money when it comes to manufacturing. Process automation in CNC is often done with what is called a cobot. A cobot like you might think, is a robot that works beside a human. This robot might take a piece of, you know, normal stock, put it into a machine, tighten a vice, and then a human can come and check it. At some point, when the human has checked it enough times, the robot can basically run unattended. And then it might take the part out. From that point, a human would go and inspect it. A robot might be able to put it into something like a CMM or even use a high-end 3D scanner to validate tolerances, but that is often still done on a human level. So the robot, yes, does replace the job of a human, but a robot doesn't need union-mandated breaks. You don't need three robots to run 24 hours a day. And ultimately, while they do need some service, they're certainly cheaper than labor. Remember, in a business, you're most... You're, Remember that in a business, your largest expense is generally people. And while it does suck to replace a person with a robot, if you are able to increase the throughput of your company by removing a job and adding a robot, 
If you are truly looking to make more money, companies will make that decision. But oftentimes they will give that worker the ability to transition to a different job to still keep them on. Some companies will just fire them, but the right companies will transition them to be doing other things, whether they work on the off side of validating processes or they go into doing some other tech or some other part of the job so they can keep that person around. It always sucks to get replaced, but I think it sucks a lot more to get replaced by a robot. So be good to your staff members. Seriously, don't screw them over. Zombie says that would be fun to DIY a ball screw printer. I actually have, and I, I can't show it on camera. It's way too far away. A ball screw Z axis for my big D bot. We'll eventually do a video on that. Probably a stream where I work on it. Uh, it is a really cool thing. Ball screws have zero backlash because it's basically a ball bearing running on a screw. Big CNC milling machines use ball screws for every axis because they don't have slop. And if you run your machine and keep it running really well, those ball screws only get better over time. I have a buddy who bought a Herco VMX 64. That is a CNC mill with a 64 inch X axis. That is two meters. I think it's two meters. It's roughly two. It's a little bit, eh, a little bit under two meters worth of an X axis travel. That is defined as a shitload of X-axis travel. That machine is from the 90s. It literally has the screen on it is a CRT display. That's how old it is. And yet, when it was being transported, when it was waiting for transport, it was on a very slight uh, decline, okay? That decline actually had the, the table move because it was so well made. And even all those years later, that machine was still running one or two ten thousandths of an inch of runout. That's insane. Okay, it's 1.6256 meters. Fine. Thank you, Madcap. Justin said, it's 12.58 p.m. CT. Have you taken your medication today? I'm not going to answer that question because that's none of your damn business. <laughs> But yeah, CNC milling is just, it's a different animal. Find me a 3D printer with a 64-inch X-axis, and I'll find you a 3D printer that doesn't work very well. At least when you look at FDM. Now, there is like the Atlas system from Titan. Titan Robotics has the Atlas system, which is a multi-head 3D printer that is FDM. And they kind of will... They can work inside of each other, which is kind of weird. The, the, the heads can reach into the workspace of the other heads, which enable them to start connecting the lines. But it is still a weak point at the end of the day. But there are big FDM printers out there. They're just not all that effective. And the bigger you go for your FDM, the more you have to sacrifice on your tolerances because you have to start using bigger nozzles. Your surface finish doesn't look as good anymore, and you end up with a machine that you're making a lot of compromises on because it's a basic necessity. Because you don't want to spend, you know, a year printing a part. It's just, it doesn't make financial sense. You have to look at what makes sense for you. CNC milling, while it does get you way better components is a system that really can't run unattended. Sure, you can use a robot, but you still need something to monitor that mill as it's running. Because if something goes wrong, let's say your cutter starts to get dull, your end mill gets dull, and it starts to make a bad noise, it starts to chatter. 
you could throw a part across a CNC mill. When 3D printers fail, it's really not that big of a deal for FDM. Now, to be clear, failures on the metal side of 3D printing cause tens of thousands of dollars of damage. SJ has talked about a failure where the part warped and actually bent the entire build plate of the machine with something like a $20,000 mistake. And that stuff happens to everybody. And sometimes it's a freak accident. So don't be afraid of print failures. It is a part of the process. And when you're a business, you build in the chance of failure into your quotes. And the higher chance of failure, the higher that quote gets. Because a lot of times, it's gonna fail. And you have to make sure that you're planning for it. Because if you don't, you're gonna find yourself up shit's Creek without a paddle, not really know what to do and with a really upset customer and with profit margins that are non-existent. And that is not how you run a business. Vertex Images is, uh, Matt Cat says, Vertex Images is running an FDM printer on MakerDeck right now that looks to have a one meter bed. It is a Modix Big 120X. It has a 1.2 meter bed because it is a 1200 millimeter bed. Modix, however, Modix specifically, is a company that says, here's a kit, leave us alone. You're not going to get a lot of support at Emotix. They're an Italian company. I like their printers, but you better know what the hell you're doing because there is no, there's not a snowball's chance in hell that they're going to give you the kind of support that you need if you're a newbie. A local company decided that instead of outsourcing to 3D Musketeers, they would just buy a Modix printer and then they wanted to hire me to build it for them. And I said, I'm, unfortunately, I can't do that. One, I don't have the time. And two, it's not going to make sense for you to pay me all of that money to assemble your $10,000 3D printer. There, it was. My initial quote was about $3,000 in time, about 20 hours that would be needed to build this printer. And yeah, it, it, it didn't make sense. They took their chances and built it themselves. I don't know what their plans are. But hey, you know, it is what it is. And as Ben E. Brady says, failures are a learning opportunity. You can teach you that your pricing is too low, teach you your pricing is too high. It can teach you that you need more lead times. It can teach you very valuable lessons. And as we like to say, you want to fail often, but make sure you're failing forward. Because if you're not failing forward, you're not learning. And if you're not learning, then you're not going to improve. And if you don't improve, you will ultimately and fundamentally fail at what you're doing. Don't be afraid of making mistakes, but be afraid if you don't learn from them. Because if you don't learn, you'll never grow. And then you'll be stuck. And you don't want to find yourself stuck, especially if it's a business. But this goes beyond business. This is every aspect of your life. Take that for whatever grain of salt you want to. Sebastian Jackal says, I originally was interested in a CNC router, but have no workshop. The idea of an end mill spinning at 15,000 RPM in my office steered me towards 3D printing instead. Yeah. I had an X-Carve, a Gen 1 X-Carve. I sold it because uh, I never used it. It uses a DeWalt Palm router, um, and the slowest they run is like 12,000 RPM. That is stupid. That is so fast. And Open Build is actually local to me now. And I really want to reach out to them because I want to just go tour their facility. 
Would you guys like to see that? Let me know in the comments, if you all, or in the chat, I guess, if you would like to see a tour of open builds and how they do it. But the X-Carve is a great way to get into hobby-grade CNC milling, but the X-Carve can barely do aluminum, or aluminum. You are not going to get it to do steel at any reasonable rate. And if you are really looking to do true milling, like proper milling, you need a machine that can do more than a two horsepower palm router. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with an X-Carve. But if you're looking at it from a real business perspective, rather than a prosumer or hobbyist or something other than like a sign maker, if you're, if you're working outside of organic materials and you're looking into metals, I guess, yeah, if you're looking outside of organic materials and looking into metals, an X-Carve just isn't for you. You need to look at an actual CNC machine. And similarly, there are a massive used market for machines out there. Injection molders, CNC millers, 3D printers. And I've talked about if you want to build a farm of Prusas, this is the best time to do it. People are unloading Prusas at an astounding rate right now as they get their bamboos. But I have a feeling that those bamboos are likely not going to last. I'm afraid of issues like I've had starting to pop up as these machines start to age on people and I still don't know what the hell is wrong with my machine and we spent six and a half hours on it and as Anner says they picked up a mini plus for $200 used that's a damn good price for a mini and I'm seeing mark 3s's go as low as $400 that is a steal for a printer that you are going to plug in you're going to make sure that it's first layer offset is set and then you're going to click print and you're going to walk away and 99.9 .9 times out of 100, it is going to work perfectly. And well, you do take a risk. You don't know if that Prusa has been ridden hard and put away wet. You don't know if the bearings need to be replaced. You don't know if the smooth rods need to be replaced. You don't know, especially if you're buying it sight unseen, what level of bullshit that machine has gone through. But you can test it. It's the same for CNC mills. It is often that CNC mills will come up on the market with a lot of hours on them, but they've been well taken care of. And if you can get a part off it where you watch it get machined and you measure it for tolerance, if the machine runs well, then it might be worth the money, right? A Haas VF2 Superspeed, specced out to the way that I wanted it, was about 96000 US dollars. On the used market, two to three years old, they're selling for 40 grand less. They're selling for damn near half price and that means you can get a, an amazing value for a lot less money it's like buying a car off a lease right you don't know what that car has gone through and if it's been well serviced it's still going to be a good car but somebody else is eating that depreciation and not you now if you need to make a capital expenditure that's between you and your accountant i'm not here to talk about that if you need to get yourself into a lower tax bracket but look at the used market but Stay away from ones that look a little suspect, because if it doesn't feel right, trust your gut. It probably isn't. And to be clear, do not go out and buy a project CNC mill. Unless you truly know what you're doing, that is a money pit of money pits of money pits. And you will spend thousands of dollars in time, money, and failures trying to learn.
I don't mind if you know that this is going to be something that you learn on before you buy a machine that works, but understand what you're getting yourself into before you really jump head first into a pond that you have no idea how deep it could be. That is where we see a lot of the young gamers get trapped when they want to move up to a CNC mill and then maybe they want to move up to an injection mold or even a plasma table. You buy something that seems really cheap, like a good deal, except it is really cheap. It's not really affordable. Look at the specs. Look at what it comes with. Look at getting training on it before you buy it. Because the last thing you want to do is find yourself with a thirty dollars to $40,000 investment that you have no idea how to use. And that's kind of what I like about Haas. They really do give you a lot of ability to learn. But as you see bigger CNC machine shops, they move away from Haas often and into something like DMG Mori, where you really don't have a lot of training, but you have a lot more flexibility in the machines, right? You'll see Herco often, you'll see DMG Mori, you'll see, it's been a while since I've been out of this market, so I forget others, but uh, you'll you'll see others, right? There's a lot of value outside of that. Benny Brady says, choice between an XL or a bamboo printer, no-brainer, no the bamboo wins. Yeah, I'm going to agree to disagree with you on that, but that's because my experience with the bamboo has been an absolute shit show. But you also might not have the use case, right? Let's back up to the 3D printers and look at the use case of a tool changer versus a mixing system. A tool changer means you have minimal to no waste. It means you can do soluble supports considerably easier without having to deal with your purge volumes, because they're separate print heads. You can do multi-material. You can do carbon fiber next to PLA without any issues. You can do carbon fiber nylon next to PLA without a single problem at all. Because the print heads can run at different temperatures. And while the bamboo can change its temperature between materials, it's not the best at it. And that means you're either going to be purging PLA at like 280C, which is going to instantly burn it. Or you're going to try to print carbon fiber nylon at like 230, which it's not going to do. So there is a lot of, you have to look at what your use case is. If you just want pretty multicolor models, yeah, the bamboo's way cheaper. And if you're worried about price point, then go get the bamboo. But if you come back here eight months later and say, wow, this machine's been a pain in the ass to service. I'm just going to tell you I told you so. If it was my choice, I'd be returning that bamboo and not getting my, and and just not getting another one. I would prefer to have my money back. But I recognize that as a content creator, it is better for me to have one. And it would be kind of hilarious if this next one was also a lemon. So, I'm going to get it simply because of the channel. Otherwise, I wouldn't be it is proven to be way too risky for my business. It is proven to be more trouble than it's worth to me. Because I now know what it's like to service it. I now know what their part quality is like. And while they might change it, it's not right now. And that's not good to me as a consumer. 42436 Freak says, I agree. I love my bamboo is going strong for now. I do imagine these things won't be proof of reliable. It's a gamble. It is a gamble. And a $1,600 gamble is a lot more money than I'm willing to risk. And to be clear, I've taken much larger gambles on that. Like I bought $80,000 of 3D scanners used sight unseen. 
but I did it via PayPal. I insured the shipment. It cost me over $500 to insure that shipment for the full value of those, of those scanners. And they've turned out to be a phenomenal investment. Phenomenal investment. But I can tell you my heart was sinking when I sent that PayPal transfer because, dude, that was bad news. Benny Brady says, if I was concerned about tool chaining, I'd spend $3,500 on the E3D. I would not. The E3D tool changer is not a great 3D printer and requires a lot more maintenance than I believe the Prusa XL is going to. But if you're going to come into my chat and be a problem, I'll just mute you because that's what we do around here. Um, so, yeah, mods, keep an eye. Um, build on sound says, I have fear for bamboo, to be honest. I see plenty of great prints, but what is the success rate of the bamboo on average? I don't know. If we look at a lot of the failures, and I know I'm not alone, go to their Facebook group, go to the Bamboo subreddit. There are a lot of people dealing with really dumb problems. And while support is getting better, they still have a long way to grow. As I said in the beginning of the stream, I have offered my expertise to Bamboo on a consulting basis to assist them in growing out their support team and setting up processes, procedure, and protocol for dealing with support. Because I have a little bit of knowledge from an insider in the company, and it tells me they have some processes and things they need to work on. But that's how it goes. I warned about this when I first saw this company, saying that, that this is a problem that you have. When you grow too fast, you don't have the staff to do it and you don't have the proper processes in place. If you put the proper processes in place, you will live to fight another day. But if you can't get there before your community starts to turn against you, you will fail like all the other printer Kickstarters that have. Every one of the 3D printing Kickstarters has failed or the ones that have failed is because they didn't know their market they didn't know their money, they didn't know their processes, and or they didn't have enough people. That is why they fail. They don't understand what economies of scale looks like. Straight up. Ooh, we put him in timeout. Ah, yeah. Thank you, Mad Cat. Good timeout. Go in timeout for 10 minutes. You can come out when you've thought about what you're doing. 424336freak says, yeah, Ben, I own a bamboo. Multi-material-wise, the XL smokes bamboo in multicolor and material. But long-term waste alone, the ROI on the XL is less than a year. To be clear, the ROI on my bamboo is less than a week. And if I can't get similar ROI on a Prusa XL, I wouldn't buy it. I have parts that we charge $500 for that don't fit on the bamboo, and I wish they did. And I know that Bamboo is working on a bigger machine, but again, this isn't a scenario where I think they're business ready. I think they're plenty hobbyist ready. They're plenty hobbyist ready because hobbyists are willing to put up with bullshit where businesses aren't. It's a big difference when you look at it. But as E3D even themselves state, it is not a 3D printer, their tool changer. It is a motion platform because they know it is not the most reliable thing on the planet. It is something for research. And there are people that are doing amazing things with their tool changers. And there are people that are getting amazing prints with their tool changers too. Don't get me wrong. You know, Filament Frenzy's gotten amazing prints with his tool changer. However, I know that Tom, Filament Frenzy, has spent a lot of time really tuning that thing to get it to work. The Prusa XL better damn work as soon as you get them. Because I don't think Prusa 
is going to be able to keep the reputation that they have if they botch a launch like this. This is not a cheap printer. And so I, as a Prusa fanboy, am saying this. If Prusa botches the launch of the XL, you're going to see a lot of people jumping ship, myself included. I support Prusa. I have 13 of their machines out of 45 machines here in the shop total. I guess 46 now. We have an anchor make now that was sent to us. Um, although it's not put together or anything like that. They are the most reliable printers that I've ever used. And I am normally not an early adopter of Prusa because historically they have had a pretty rough start. But I believe they're going to have their shit together on this. And if they don't, you better believe you're going to get some grant rants about it. Right? I am, while I am opinionated, I am ethically where I need to be. I am morally where I need to be. I am not paid by anybody except YouTube and Patreon, right? No companies support us at this time. We are not sponsored. That's why I do call to actions of why you should like the stream, why you, if you do like what we do, support us on Patreon or YouTube channel members because that is how we try to support this channel financially. And when I bill my time at $150 an hour, spending six and a half hours working on that stupid bamboo, what is that? Nigh on $1,000 of my time live? That sucks. It sucks from a business perspective. Uh, let's see what else we got. Supercaro says E32 Changer is cool, but seems like another jack of all trades, master of none. I don't need competition. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. Uh, and as Matt Cat says, and that is the thing that keeps Joseph Prusa up at night. I bet it does. I bet this launch keeps him up at night. Not just because of me, but because everybody here now has something else to compare it to. And the bamboo will be a legitimate comparison between the XL. And people will make it. While they're not similar machines, they serve very similar markets from the consumer side. And I'll be curious to see what reviewers think of it. I don't know when I'm going to get my bamboo. Or, God, I don't know when I'm going to get my Prusa XL. But I can tell you that I'm really excited for it. Come hell or high water, I'm excited for it. Same thing with the bamboo. I was excited for that, too. But I'm certainly more excited about my Prusas. But on sound says, the more I hear about FDM printing and the problems I hear makes me doubt if I should buy one. I got two resin printers and find it less hassle for some reason. Yeah, I'm weird. I believe the right FDM printers with the right settings produce good parts. Similar to how if you have, um, you know, a resin printer with bad print settings, it's going to print like crap and you're going to be running around in circles trying to get it sorted. FDM and FFF printing is roughly the same. If you go around what is the recommended settings, you are kind of taking the risk that the print won't work out well. And yes, I recognize in resin printing that a lot of the recommended settings are terrible, but if you know what you're doing with resin printing, you know how to tune machines. Tuning an FDM machine, I believe, is much easier than tuning a resin printer. But with things like the cones of calibration, it makes it a lot easier to tune those resin printers. And there are calibration prints for FDM 3D printers, the Benchy being one of them, but there are calibration cubes and other prints that you can make that will tell you where your printer sits. And if you go through that effort and it all checks out, I think you'll have a good printing experience. 
And with how affordable FDM printers are these days, I don't think it would be all that excessive to spend a little bit of money to mess around. And if you don't like it, sell it. It's not going to hurt that bad, but you get an experience in an industry to decide if you like it or if you don't. And I think that alone is worth the price of entry when you look at really affordable FDM printers that are, you know, $300 or less. As Ronnie Rothoff says, I am opinionated, but not unfair. At least that's his views. And I would agree. Everybody's opinionated. I just don't hide it. And it means that we're not all that friendly when it comes to companies, right? They don't want to risk it. We just got a, uh, a, a thing for a sponsored video uh, from a company representing Frozen. They wanted to pay me $100 plus give me a machine for two videos that utilize the machine. I would have to buy my own resin to do it. To be clear, I would probably spend more in the resin than the hundred dollars that they're giving me. And the average price for us to produce a video is well over a hundred dollars. So yeah, no. And even further, they wouldn't let me put hashtag ad in it, even though that is required for me to state that there is money exchanging hands. They required us to have uh, them to have a review of it. So all these things kind of violate uh, my thing. Super Kara says, but resin is toxic. Build on sound says, so is my ex. <laughs> nice. Nice. Super Kara says, I can't wait to see the reviews about SV06+. Plus. I want to get a large size printer next, but if it's good as the original, it'll be hard to choose between a Prusa XL, Voron, and the SV06+. Plus. I think if that SV06+, Plus is under 500 bucks, it's going to it's gonna be a, a CR10 killer. There, there wouldn't be a reason. Um, yeah, there wouldn't be a reason. Oh, yeah. Polymate 3D says, I've been fortunate to have FDM and resin printing. Hands down, FDM is my go-to, but it all depends on what you are making. My brother would want miniatures, so definitely resin for him. Ronnie says, I still want to do a Voron. It's a good method of learning the functionality of a 3D printer and just a fun project. And on top of it, you might get a good printer out of it. I agree. Vorons are phenomenal projects. And if you do want to go down that path, understand that it's going to take you a long time, but you're going to come out of it someone that has learned a lot of lessons, that has learned a lot of valuable things, and is ultimately someone that is better at this industry when they come out. Give me just a second. Yeah, and that's it, 100 bucks. It was a slap in the face. And if you guys are Patreon supporters at $10 tier or higher, you've seen this because I posted that entire email in our Discord channel uh, and we all kind of laughed at it. And we made fun of how it's actually illegal for me not to disclose it. It's an FTC violation, which is, that's a three-letter organization. You all know my whole feelings about three-letter organizations. Um. Okay, so Madcat USA says just got an email from the SV06 Plus early bird pricing is at 299 with only 300 units available. Yeah, those aren't those aren't going to last, but um a second, those will be sold out instantly. And I'll wait, I'll wait till they come back in stock and all that cuz I don't I don't need one. I'll get one, but I don't need one. So, yeah. I I think every one of these technologies, 3D printing, CNC milling, 
injection molding are all fully complementary. You start with 3D printing, you move into CNC milling, you finish in injection molding if you're going about this process of building a product for mass market consumption. But if you're only going to sell 50 to 100 units, you're never going to leave 3D printing. If you're going to make it out of metal, you're probably never going to leave CNC milling. And if you're expecting to make millions of pieces, you're never going to leave injection molding. And there are other processes like roto molding, vacuum forming, and all of that, but I believe those kind of fit into the production level of things. Injection molding is what a lot of people consider for their projects because it's what people know. But remember that intellectual property is a big deal too. And if you go overseas, you can kiss that IP goodbye. There's not a lot of chance that people are going to abide by the things that you do. So be careful about that. But yeah, guys, um, <laughs> where Spear says, do I consider IBM a three-letter organization? Well, I don't own any IBM, so I guess so. Um, anyways. Oh, well, they added a 4.3-inch touchscreen to the SV06 Plus. Damn. Damn. Oh, shit. Okay. Maybe I'll get one earlier. <laughs> but all right, guys. Um, I think we kind of covered this. Um, and, and, I, and I'm really tired. I'm sore from yesterday from all that i did not expect to be on set for that long yesterday so i am i'm sore my, my body is sore so i think we're going to call this one here i appreciate everybody coming out uh hopefully i have answered this oh you know what no 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 i uh there's one more thing i want to cover nope how to choose the right tech i want to choose because uh, it's actually in my my notes of what i need to do um so let's do how to choose how to choose the right tech it comes down to the actual process that you're working on and what your end goal is. If your end goal is to license the product, you should never leave 3D printing. There's no reason for you to do that. Provide a valuable prototype that works, put it in front of investors, put it in front of companies that want to license it and send it. Be done with it, right? Get your license money and go from there. But from that process... You also have to understand if you're going into full-on production, you don't want to do that with 3D printing. You need to look at what your general values are and what you're looking at for your project. If your goal is to get into injection molding, don't design for 3D printing to start. Design for injection molding or DFM, design for manufacturing. If you're going to just 3D print it, DFAM, designed for additive manufacturing. There are totally different worlds. Things like draft angles and fillets are, necess are necessities with injection molding. They are not needed for 3D printing, right? So you really need to know from the beginning what your plans are, or you pay for design twice. And if you're okay with paying for design twice, pay for design twice. It's fine. It works. But yeah. I think, I think that's it. Um, yeah. All right. Now I'm going to call it. I have covered everything that I want to cover. I've gone through my list mentally, made sure I've covered everything. We've done benefits of 3D printing, benefits of CNC milling, benefits of injection molding, the downsides to each, how to choose the right tech, and the expected startup cost. We've covered that as well. So thank you all for coming out. Enjoy the rest of your day. Stay safe out there. 
Don't forget to call your loved ones. And as always, keep making awesome. Season 3, Episode 23. Take care.